and welcome to the big topic in women's MMA. Frank Posen here along with Schwan Humes. Don't forget to check out my blog at frankp316.blogspot.com and my other podcast, Frank Posen's Big Bad Podcast, uh, which I did last week. I'm taking a couple of weeks off. Okay, uh, you know, Schwan, we had a federal election here in Canada on Monday. Okay. Okay. Nothing much changed, though. We got the same prime minister, pretty much the same deal. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so nothing changed? Yeah, it was kind of a snap election. I think what uh, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was trying to do was uh, stick it to the leader of the progressive conservatives. You know what? It worked. <laughs> People didn't want to vote for the guy. I didn't want to vote for him. Vote for him because he's a uh, he was lying. Okay. Anyway, we got to get some fight some fights to get to first from the last Saturday UFC show. Let's get started on it. First of all, there were four women's fights on the show. Uh, on uh, Ariane Lipsky, Mandy Bohm by unanimous decision. This was at flyweight. And I'll say right off the top that while I was watching this fight, I was thinking that Mandy was suffering from the UFC jitters. Okay. And people can laugh about that. But the point is, it wasn't a case of where she came out and she looked good and all of a sudden she got hit and she didn't look so good. It was a case of where... To me, Schwan, to me, she looked like she forgot how to fight, okay? And I've seen it before, and that's the UFC jitters. I mean, even Bisping mentioned it, and he wouldn't usually mention something like that. So, I mean, she, I, you know, you watched her. Was her competition the best at the Bellator fight or anything else she fought? No, it wasn't the best, but she came out and she was aggressive. And this fight here is like, she got a blank, you know, she got a blank in her head. She forgot what the hell she was doing. That to me is the UFC. Um, I can see an argument for that. It wasn't as aggressive. The different, the only thing I saw different was she had moments where she was trying to be aggressive, but unlike in a previous fights, other stab or landed a leg kick, her opponent would back off and they wouldn't fire back. They kind of cover up. Or maybe they do a desperation strike. Every time she tried to build momentum against um, Lipsky, Lipsky would fire right back. Now, I think she was nervous to begin with, but I think in certain spots she got more comfortable. But Lipsky didn't get, get, get comfortable and build momentum. She hit her with a shot, Lipsky would throw three or four back. She tried to pressure, Lipsky would take her down. She tried to get right back up like she normally did and power her way through, Lipsky would change position, reassert control. It's not so much that she forgot how to fight. I think earlier on she was hesitant. But once she realized what she needed to do, she was facing an opponent who actually had doing instead of just letting her build a momentum and bowl her over. Lipsky isn't great, but Lipsky is worlds better than anybody she's faced, technically and physically. Well, I, it, it, I think we might see some more improvement out of her because she said uh, Ariane is now training down at her top team. That means that she's training with the same guy who trains 
Amanda Nunez and the same guy who corners her. That's Conan Silvera. Okay. And, you know, he's a proven, he's a proven guy, you know. Yeah. They wouldn't get all them guys. They wouldn't get all them people going down there if they didn't know what the hell he was doing. Yeah, I mean, I, all of that. But I, 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 I don't think it'll help her. When a Brazilian yeah. goes down there, he's the main guy. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of contacts. He knows how to communicate with fighters, and I know some coaches down there. He has a good staff of guys. He always, he lean, he uses all his resources. If he thinks. He doesn't have an area covered. He'll bring in one of the other coaches at ATT to help him instead of just saying, I know it all. So that's part of the reason he's had to, such continued success because of that humbleness. But, but I, I, also, say, oh, I also think I would personally like to see her drop to, to strawweight. Yeah, I think, I think she'd have some more um, success there. I think her physical tools would be for her. But once again, you know how fighters are with, with their um, thought process and some of their little things that they get concerned about. Sometimes extra cut. Sometimes they feel it would take too much out of them. You know, it, you and I could see it that way, but if the fighter ultimately doesn't, there's been lots of fighters who shortened their career. They refused to cut a couple pounds and kept themselves in contention. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll see how she does. Now, uh, second fight, we had uh, Raquel Pennington beat uh, Penny Kianzad by unanimous decision. And and for me, it kind of confirms what I was talking about last week, that Raquel really is at the tail end of her career. That she's just not who she used to be. If she was fighting this girl even four or five years ago, she'd have killed her. But it was a close fight, Sean. You know, uh, and, 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 and I just think that, uh, you know, a few years ago, this is why Panny wanted to fight her. He wanted to fight her. She thought, okay, she's in, the, she's in her decline, and I could probably beat her now. Because she's choosing her opponents very carefully, okay? But uh, it, came, it was close. Uh, I thought it might be a split decision or something like that, but uh, uh, you know, it wasn't a split decision. That's fine. But it doesn't change what I think about Raquel. I think she's in her in the twilight of her career. She's closer to retirement than anything else. Yeah, um, I didn't argue with you on that. My whole pro- my whole thing was Panny gets beat by a certain level of fighter because all her success is based built the to bully you and her ability to over outwork you. Raquel, even though she's limited, has faced better athletes. And she understands how to make adjustments. Panny was asserting herself, and then Raquel started getting into clinches, started making her work. She started, when Panny would try to box with her, Raquel would answer right back, attack the body, attack the head, multi-level attacks, and she just kept her off balance. Panny has to get momentum to win. If you can disrupt her by either turning her, clinching her, or answering back her shot so she can't put two, three, four, five shots together, essentially she has no answer. She can't fight off the back foot. She's not a greatest wrestler, and she's not a distant striker. She's basically a come forward, pressure, grind you, and grind you down through, through attrition. But a veteran fighter knows how to slow that down and knows how to throw you off your rhythm, and Panny had no idea how to get back on the rhythm. Yeah, we saw this from Panny when she was in Invicta. It's like she gets, she fights a certain level of opponent, 
and uh, she's not going to win. Okay, yep. uh, we're going to talk about another fighter who's very similar, and that's Emmy Fujino. But it, what it is is that they're at a certain level, mid card probably. Okay, and if they're fighting somebody who's perceived as better than them, and Raquel, even in her limited state, she's she's probably better than Penny. She can't win, and that's she's been like that her whole career. Okay, oh, that- fighting in Europe, fighting in Europe, she was dominant. When she came to the U.S., it kind of tipped the scales the other direction. Bone, bone, Penny, uh, Jasmine, a lot of these fighters come in, and their whole aspect. Of dominance is being able to outwork bully you. Once you get to a higher level of MMA, that physical advantage isn't either doesn't exist or it's not as big an advantage. Then you have to have the skills to back it up to reassert that advantage. Panty's gotten a little bit better, but defensively she's not really good. On the counter, she's predictable, and offensively she throws a lot, but it's not really t- not really set up. It's all physicality and pace. If you can slow the pace and disrupt her, she literally has nothing. You back her up, and it's really all over. So the question is, uh, you know, when, look, the question is, are they going to uh, start using her as cannon fodder? I think I, I think they already have. It's just they let they allow her to put three or four, put some wins together, facing third and fourth tier girls, and that builds her up. So then, if you have a name fighter on their last legs who wants one more run, or you have a, a prospect coming up and you want to see if they can get over the hump, then you throw her in there with them. All right. So the third fight, we had Aaron Blanchfield just destroy Sarah Elpar. And that was also at Flyer. The only thing we didn't see there is a finish. And, Chuan, do you think maybe the ref should have stopped it at the end of the first round? That's what I thought. Yeah, I feel when the fights – I know that people talk about punishment. But sometimes – I mean, she was take, first she was taking a lot of abuse. And she didn't really have – she didn't have any answer. She couldn't get out of position. She couldn't slow Blanchfield down. She couldn't hurt her. It's like, well, what, what's the purpose of this? Are we just going to let her get beat on because the finish isn't coming? Because all she's doing is, is, is building up damage. It's eventually going to hurt her down the line. They might, they could have stopped that in the first round. It was just so, so, so much gap between the skill set. I believe it. Yeah, I believe in stopping fights when it's obvious that someone's just utterly dominating. Like what? Are- yeah, I thought the ref should have stopped the fight at the end of round one. Okay, because that was really bad. And I don't know why he didn't stop it. Um, but, uh, you know, I wasn't particularly surprised by it. Erin uh, has worked great when I've seen her. So uh, what do you think, Schwann? you think she's an elite fighter or what? I, I have to see her against some legitimate resistance. She's, in my opinion, she's been the better athlete for the most part and the better skill fighter. I just think I need to see when I, I need to see her in a fight when either someone's got better skills or someone's as good or better an athlete and see how she responds to some real adversity, which, which she can't just get control back. But she has the potential to be just off her, uh, her, her time in the martial arts. She's got a certain natural feel for it, and she's got a depth of skill that a lot of girls don't have in, in her division. And then under the fourth fight, which was a straw, uh, no, it was actually a flyweight. It was a flyweight. Uh, Hannah Goldie uh, beat. Uh, Emily Whitmire with a first-round armbar. She did us all a big favor because that fight was going to be boring as hell. Now, one thing I'm going to say about uh, Hannah right off the top is she looked in better shape at flyweight than she did at strawweight, so that's number one. Number two, 
Emily Whitmire has been released by the UFC. Okay. Yeah. So we we talked about that before. We said I was like, they're they're basically versions of each other. I don't know why you keep both versions around, especially when one version has has hasn't performed as well as the other. A two fight losing streak. Let me double check on that. Whatever it was, Doesn't but matter. you know the the divisions are thin, and they they really want girl in there. But when Whitmire's lost, it's it's not just that she's lost; it's how she's lost. Three submission losses in a row. First round, first round, and early second round, midway through second round. She just hasn't shown enough growth in her time in the UFC. And she's not even putting up a good enough fight to test someone. When you're no longer able to test someone or extend, you got to go. You, you're showing you're a class below this, this level. I also have to say she looked really stupid at this fight. She didn't fight very smart. I think the pressure got to her. I think she was trying to put on a show and be extra aggressive. And she doesn't have the skill set to be that aggressive because she doesn't have the technical skills to get out of bad spots, and she doesn't have the physical skills to get out of bad spots. So, what do we think of Hannah Goldie as a uh, as a flyweight? I mean, she she still got she still got physical tools. She's got it. She has some experience. You know, she's fought fairly fairly decent. Moving up. Maybe move, maybe the change in weight will, will give her more confidence to be more aggressive. Maybe it'll allow her to, to fight at a certain pace that's going to allow her to, to, to navigate some of the physical limitations she's going to have in that weight class because she's not going to have a strength or power weight advantage in that weight class. So um, I thought she Schwan, I thought Schwan, Schwan, I thought she looked more muscular as a flyweight. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think she did. My only question is like, will it really tra- will we really see the translation of that? Because Class, you can look more filled out. You can look more powerful. But do you actually become strong for the weight class, or were you strong for your previous weight class? And now you're going to hit that wall, kind of like 170. He looked good. He looked physically good, but he couldn't bully anyone. He couldn't control position, and I'm not sure she can either. We'll see. Okay. Let's go. Uh, now, there was a women's fight on the Bellator show. I did not watch it. Uh, it was uh, Deanna Bennett beat um, Alejandra Lara. Did you watch this fight, Sean? Uh, I watched part of it. And I just, once I started seeing that Lara did not, Laura, Laura seems to just plateaued as a fighter. She's a good, and she's, at least offensively, she's not a bad striker, but she's so, she's so limited in wrestling and so limited in grappling. Um, this was a fight they wanted her to win to put her back on track. And Bennett just basically um, bullied her. She bullied her. And outsmarted her, and Laura had no no real answer. She couldn't do it slower. She couldn't get away from her. She couldn't submit her. She couldn't get up. She couldn't take her really take her down. It was just a very bad showing from Laura. Probably the worst showing I've seen. And say she gets cut, Bellator might keep her out because they need bodies and they need names. I blame Rich Chow, who tends to find uh, girls like this. Then again, we have to remember usually when girls make miss their weight. A girl who misses the weight usually wins because any power Laura That's would have. That's true. Deanna, Deanna misses weight. Yeah. Losing those extra pounds, that, that takes a certain amount of energy, explosiveness, and durability out of you. Not having to lose them gives you, like I'd say, even like a 15 17% advantage. And that's, that's a big advantage at this, at, in a fight. Okay. So the other fight we want to talk about is, was on uh, the uh, Sunday's Rising show. Uh, I have posted this fight on my blog. Uh, Ayaka Hamasaki successfully defended her um, 
uh, Ryzen Super Atomweight Championship against Emmy Fujino. She last fought Emmy Fujino nine years ago, and she beat her then. They were both uh, strawweights at the time. Uh, this was Emmy's first time fighting at Atomweight, and I would also like to point out that she's actually older than Ayaka. She's 40. Okay, yeah. so I asked you to watch this fight because I posted it on my blog last night. And um, did you have a look at it? Yes. Okay. So it was about what I expected it would be, except I didn't uh, – Ayaka didn't bother to take it to the ground. She just figured she, she you know, keep punching her lights out. Okay, so uh, uh, yeah. what did you think of all of that? I thought I thought basically you – know, wait, how do you say her name again? Fujino. Emmy Fujino. There you go, Fujino. I think Fujimo did what I would expect a veteran fighter to do. She knows she's outclassed physically. She knows she's up. She she can't fight at a pace. So basically, what she was going to do was pot shot, and all that is is control distance. She's going to let Ayaka throw as much as she can, but she's going to just look for one or two big spots to land a shot and just do just enough to survive and do just enough that if she maybe land, lands the right shot, she can put her lights out. Now the likelihood of her knocking her out was very low but she was able to kind of minimize the damage she took because if she would have met her head on and started trying to exchange and throw volume, she wouldn't have made it through the fight. So she decided, I'm going to try to survive this. I'll take a few big big swings. If if one of them pays off, there you go. If it doesn't, then at least I could or win as far as I could, and I can say I can kind of have some honor in that, that I was able to be competitive in some form or fashion. I think it I wasn't. Also, Schwein, Schwein. It wasn't. It wasn't competitive. It was not competitive. Ayaka could have. Ayaka should have ramped it up to kind of get her out of there, and she could have. You know what? You know what, Schwan? She won the first two rounds pretty easily, so I can understand why she kind of took it easy in round three. Okay, they're I, friends. I, yeah, I understand you know? that. But they're friends. Know. Not not to mention that broadcasting from ringside was Megumi Fuji. No, I understand. I understand that completely. I just. Like I said, there's a – it's like saying certain people, especially veterans in boxing and MMA, when they get older, they know they can't maintain certain things, so then they just start trying to survive and have a few flashing moments. And if one of those moments turns into a fight-turning action, they're good with it. If it doesn't, then I was able to kind of navigate and limit the punishment I took. And I could say, well – because there was a couple moments. She landed a couple – Big shot. She just couldn't do anything with them. They didn't do any damage, but she did. Because Schwan, because she's only throwing one at a time. When Ayaka that, was but, throwing, when Ayaka was throwing uh, shots, but, it was like combinations. Actual style of fighting. Anderson Silva pot shots. When I when I did martial arts, I would kickbox. I would say I'm a pot shotter. I'm moving. You're gonna throw a bunch. I'm gonna try to make sure I don't get hit clean, real clean with anything, and see if I can land yeah. a good one. They could turn the round. The only difference it's is that, she, that that kind of thing's not going to work with someone like Ayaka. Yeah, for worse, first of all, she's facing a younger opponent who's durable. And second of all, she doesn't have the power to work that out. And she doesn't have the skill. But I understand the approach she was using and why she did it. All right. It was kind of a time waster because really they don't have any uh, contenders for Ayaka right now. Yeah. I mean, they just need to get her out there and, and put her on, get her face out there. And this was a match that they could. Yeah. Well, we'll see what they do with that. I mean, they say Yaka's 39. I don't know if she's thinking of retiring or not. I don't think so. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Saturday. UFC 266, I think it is? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Okay, the big fight on here. Oh, well, first of all, before we get to that, 
Uh, one of the fights has been postponed, and that is uh, Manon Firo versus Mira Buena Silva. Apparently, Manon's entire camp uh, um, tested positive for COVID-19, but they're not showing any symptoms, but they do have to, you know, not do the fight. So they're going to do it on October 16th. Also, Misha Tate has, has uh, tested positive for COVID-19. So her fight with Ketlin Vieira, that is going to be postponed as well. Okay. So let's move on to the big championship fight here. We have uh, Valentina Shevchenko defending the uh, UFC uh, flyweight championship against Lauren Murphy. Okay, so Lauren Murphy, there's no question that Lauren Murphy has improved since she's been training at Fortis MMA in Houston with Saif Saud. However, I don't think it's any going to be anywhere near enough to do anything with uh, Valentina. And you can tell by the way the interviews are going this week that Lauren knows that too. Yeah, basically, this is how I, I put it on Twitter. Nobody that Lauren has fought in her, really her career, but much less in her, on this win streak she's been on, the fast, last five fights she's won, none of the people she's fought have prepared her for val- their step level level as athletes. Two, they're a step below as far as experience, world-class experience. And three, they're a step below, if not two steps below as far um, The girl she's beaten, a lot of Lauren's well, the, success... The, 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 the best fighter that she's beaten is Joanne Calderwood. Yes, but a lot of her success, it's not so much just the technical skill set that's improved, it's her IQ and her awareness. She found the egregious hole in their game and was able to exploit it through it against JoJo. It, it was activity against uh, Sheriko. Well, I, I, was... I, think, I think a lot of the credit for that should go to Saud because when she was training at MMA Lab in, in Phoenix with uh, John Crouch, she wasn't she wasn't anywhere near that good. Not even no. close. No, and, and I do give him credit for that. You face people with egregious holes. They're good wins, but they're wins that take things away because you weren't forced to go to a plan B. You didn't have to go to another gear. Montefiore is not very durable. Angelie doesn't hit very hard. Barello, um, Romero Barello doesn't have a lot of durability or conditioning. She'll fade. Against Valentina, Valentina can take a good shot. Valentina's physically stronger. Valentina's faster. Valentina can hit harder. And Valentina's not going to gas. So all the things that she goes to for her safety zones, they don't exist in this fight. And she's not a good offensively striker, defensively striker. She might be a good enough grappler submitter, but she's never going to get her to the ground consistently where she can get that chance. So on paper, there's really no way for her to win this because she's completely outgunned in every aspect. Only thing she can hope for is Valentina kind of comes in on cruise control or Valentina's injured because Valentina already knows how she's going to attack her. She's going to attack her the same oh, way Jessica oh, I did, oh, oh, the same thing oh, Maya did, the same way um, Jessica Andrade did. She's going to try and rough her up and take her down. That's the only option she has. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned the injured part because did you know that Lauren Murphy, when she was an Invicta, she won the bantamweight title when Miriam Nakamoto suffered a knee injury and Miriam has never fought since then. Yeah. So, it's kind of, she's a and it's also interesting that Lauren, Lauren Murphy's nickname is lucky. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, to really fight any of the better people in the division to get this title shot, they were all challenging for the belt or fighting each other. So she got to fight a bunch of third tier fighters for the most part and 
be in position to to fight Valentina just by fighting one person who's around a second tier. So she she did luck out. Now, Jessica Andrade said something interesting a couple of days ago. I don't know if you saw this. Jessica said that when Valentina took her down, it confused her. Yeah, I already talked about that. That was just poor planning by her game. Her, her Valentina always it. I can't even get into that. I, I expected that. I told people that was how her a professional didn't see that coming. They don't always see things coming. So I, I mean, that's why they need to pay other people because they should have seen that coming. Th- this is the thing. Unless something weird happens, Valentina will retain her title. Yes. Okay. So speaking of Jessica Andrade, she's on this show too. Okay. So mm-hmm. she's she's facing Cynthia Calvillo. Okay, in a uh, flyweight bout. This is at um, uh, flyweight, and this is on the main card as well. Now Cynthia is now training at the UFC PI in Las right. Vegas. Okay, so I don't know what that's going to mean because I'm not sure who she's training with over there. Uh, but um, look, we know how Jessica Andrade fights. And by the way, she's now in Vegas with her team. They, they're, they're the plan movie they're going to make before the pandemic. It's complete. So the PRVT is... She's also rich ahead. because she's on OnlyFans now. So she has any problems to work to distract her. Well, whatever. Anyways, they're now in Vegas, which is what they were going to do before the pandemic. So they have their own building and everything. Okay. So, um, you know, we all know how Jessica Andrade fights, okay? Go forward, go forward, go forward. And the big difference between Jessica and other fighters that do that is she hits hard, okay? So the question is, can she catch up to Cynthia? Because Cynthia, my suspicion, is going to try and keep her distance, okay? But can she do that? Well, I think in spots, Cynthia is going to be able to get away from her and land strikes. She's, I think she's, she's obviously got the height and the, the reach on her. The thing about it is Jessica Andrade, I can't really think of a fight where I've seen her really tired. Even when she got beat from pillar to post against Je- Joanna, she was, Joanna was getting tired. Jessica was not. And had to cut less weight to, to get to this weight class. So I don't see how she's going to gas. I don't think Cynthia is strong enough to make her gas. I don't think Cynthia can really get her down or hold her down, but I think everything Andrade throws is going to hurt her. I saw Cynthia have a hard time in clinches or in exchanges with Caitlin, like Andrade and Jessica I. Even the, even fights where she's dominated, she's never really been able to just control position and put people on their heels. Why she be able to do so now? She'll be effective in spot because Jessica Andrade isn't hard to hit. But she won't be able to maintain it because Andrade is a better athlete. She hits, and she just throws so much volume. If Andrade isn't, if Andrade is compromised, then yes, Calvillo has a very good chance of winning. But if Andrade is, if she's even eighty-five percent of Andrade, if she's seventy-five percent of Andrade, um, she'll win this fight. I don't know if it'll be a dynamic win, but she'll her physicality and her conditioning and her body punching and leg kicking should be enough to break Calvillo down. She has enough power in her punches that I don't know if Cynthia can handle it. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think the gap in her strength is as much as it was in her previous weight class because it was lower. But I still say outside of even Valentina had a hard time keeping her down. They're like Valentina, 
figuring out six times. What does that mean? That means she got up six times. So Valentina, who bullies everybody, had a hard time keeping her down. And I should, Cynthia is I, I, anywhere. I, I, I should point out that I should point out that Jessica is thinking about dropping to the to strawweight again. I, I can see that. I mean, Rose is still a champion that she feels she did well against her. And at this weight class, her strength advantage isn't as obvious. When she fought Chukagan, Chukagan's punches bothered her a little bit. And when she tried to get her in clinches early on, Chukagan did better than I would have expected because she was still strong enough to bully her, but it wasn't as big an advantage as she's used to. Yeah. I like Jessica in this fight. Yeah. Like I said, I I think she should win it. Uh, I'm not really sure. Like you said, I don't know what to expect from Calvillo. Is not really in her prime, and she's never been the the biggest athlete as far as power and explosiveness. So unless she and and at flyweight, she's less of a fighter. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think she has the advantages, and I don't think her power is there, and I don't know her strength there. But like I said, we we don't know what she's going to come out doing. But I do know if shot for shot and and pace for pace, Andrade should have all those advantages. Okay, so the other fight on this show was supposed to be Roxanne Modafferi versus Ta- the return of Tatiana Suarez at flyweight. But Tatiana uh, suffered a knee injury in training, and so uh, she dropped out, uh, replaced by uh, Taylor Santos. Uh, Taylor is from Santa Catarina, Brazil. She trains at Astra Fight Team. Uh, I, she was supposed to be on... Um, that show a couple of weeks ago that was supposed to be in uh, London. She was supposed to fight um, uh, Mandy Bohm, actually. And uh, she got moved to this instead. That would have been a better fight um, for Bohm. Yeah, probably. But I actually see Taylor winning this fight. Okay? Look, at Roxanne is, what, 38 years old, for God's sakes? Okay? And she was never a dynamic fighter. Never. Even when she was in Japan, supposedly, she, she she had decent ground skills. She wouldn't punch. Now at least she'll punch somebody, okay? But she's still not a she's still not a dynamic fighter. She's okay at mid card. I just think Taylor at this point is ahead of her. Okay? Well, Taylor's the better athlete. She's bigger. She's got better cardio. She's more durable. She's stronger. I don't know. Taylor, all, all, overall, as an MMA fighter, has the seasoning and the awareness that Modafferi has. But since Modafferi has essentially no athleticism, that that um that that even that playing field. The problem with Modafferi is this: Modafferi is good enough and experienced enough where she can get you in the bad spot because people are over pursue, people get off balance. She she recognizes she's very high IQ. She notices everything. She she sees everything for the most part. But the her not athletic enough to do anything with the opening she gets. So I think I expect her. I mean, Barella got Talia down. I think Montefiore can get her down. I don't think Montefiore can be able to physically impose herself so she can finish. And on the ground, I don't know that she's a damaging enough ground and pound type fighter against a real athlete that she can finish as well. I mean, she had a hard time beating up Barber, even with Barber's knee being compromised. And she still really couldn't really beat her yeah. the way she should have. So she's going to get into spots. And early on, she well. But the fact of the matter is, um, as once Talia finds her rhythm and finds her range, she's going to start putting damage on her. And Montefiore is a seasoned enough person that she, but she doesn't have enough dynamic power to explode into a position or to land a fight to turn land a shot that'll turn the fight. So if Talia doesn't gas dramatically because she 
forced to work a little bit harder than she expected, I'm not quite sure what Roxanne, Roxy does to win this fight because she shouldn't be able to knock her out. She shouldn't be able to out-wrestle her without grappling, but to grapple her, she's got to get through the striking and the wrestling to get to that point, and I don't know, I don't know how she does that. Well, I think Taylor's a lot quicker than Roxy. I mean, Lauren Murphy was making Roxy look slow, and Lauren Murphy's not fast. No. Again, I, I kind of, I mean, look, I like Taylor in this fight pretty much for her quickness. She's a lot younger. You know, uh, she's looked okay at times. But yeah, Roxanne I mean, is not a, but not, Roxanne is a mid-card fighter at best. At that that Varela fight was concerning. To get taken down multiple times and clinched up by Varela is, was a really bad look. And the fact, but Varela gassed, and that's what essentially allowed, it allowed Talia to get back in that fight. But the, like you said before, Roxy, I'm very impressed by her because she's been blown out. And for the most part, she's been competitive with everybody. Arajal faded it against her. She had some moments late. Murphy wasn't able to be quite as my opinion, even though Murphy really controlled everything. But against the better athletes, she, she always seems to find some way to lose. Arajal is a better athlete. Murphy's a better athlete. Maya's a better athlete. Eubanks is a better athlete. Montano is a better athlete. And the thing about Roxy is she developed her striking, and early on that fooled people. But now that people are on to the truth, anybody, the lack of athleticism, the lack of durability, the lack of strength is ultimately becoming her, her downfall again. Against a certain yeah. level of athlete, she just loses. Yeah, we'll see. I like Taylor despite. Yeah, it's it's hard not to. I mean, I I would like to see Roxy or maybe even get another shot at a title. I just I don't know how that happens given the limitations she has. It you know, doesn't. If she, if oh. right, she can win, she get there. All right. Now, yesterday, uh, fifth. Uh, Japanese pro wrestler and owner of the uh, promotion LLPW. Her name is was Rumi Kazama. Uh, died at age fifty five. Now I know most fans won't know who she is, but she's very important in the development of women's MMA because LLPW was the first promotion to put on an all women's MMA show in nineteen ninety six, and Rumi was the co owner of that company along with, uh, of course, the big star of that company, Shinobu Kandori. Okay, so they started that company in 1993. And the, the, the reason they did this was because Shinobu Kandori was the big star of the company, and she actually looked like a fighter. That was the whole her whole gimmick. Okay, but she wasn't. She was a pro wrestler. So they thought that uh, if they could find some female fighters around the world, they might be able to do you know, a show. And they did do it. And they were the first to do it because MMA was starting to get hot in Japan. Eh? And so th th they did that. And then uh, that led to, of course, the formation of Smack Girl and later on things like the uh, Remax uh, uh, World uh, Cup tournament that Marlis Kunin won in 2000 and also uh, All Japan Women putting uh, MMA women MMA fighters on on the show. So doing that show in 1996 was a very big part of uh, the development of women's MMA and Rumi Kazama, who was not a very good wrestler. Okay. She was okay only, but she was an important behind the scenes figure in getting women's MMA started. Okay. Uh -huh. 
So uh, I know you've never heard of her, but now that I've talked about her a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's, it, the sad thing is there's people, especially over WMMA as a whole, who are very integral in the part and because it, or MMA in general, there's people who aren't fighters necessarily or aren't fighters who help push the sport forward. And she would be one of them. And because she's not a great fighter or a big name, she'll probably, I mean, in Japan probably, but overall she'll never respect she deserves because nobody will understand how much of a big thing her being involved helped push the sport forward in that area. Like people haven't, they don't, they don't really understand how star-driven combat sports are and having a name attached to it can take a sport from one level to another or keep it keep it afloat until it's legs back and it can really dominate. It'd be like Jake Paul being a huge celebrity. Is he a real boxer in a sense? Kind of, sort of. Is he an elite boxer? No. But he allows when the big fights aren't happening, he had boxing at the forefront until the big fights come around. Otherwise, nobody would be talking boxing like they were for the past three weeks. It's all... Jake Paul related boxing areas, which sets up the bigger fights later on for the real fight fans and the casuals who now are maybe talking about boxing more. It's the same thing with her. And I don't think she'll have her real just do overall in the world for what she did based on what, now, what I know. Now, Ruby Kazama retired from pro wrestling in 2003 and uh, her, her best friend and co-owner of LLPW, uh, Shinobu Kandori, became a member of the Japanese parliament. Ruby Kazama was her assistant. Okay, oh. so that's a, that's a lifelong friendship. In recent years, uh, Rumi had started a YouTube channel, and she was doing um, uh, interviews with retired pro uh, pro female pro wrestlers on her YouTube channel. So, uh, R.I.P. Ruby Kazama. Uh, what you did for women's MMA was very important. Okay, and I don't want people to forget that. Well, okay. I think that I think I think that shows the depth of understanding and appreciation you have for women's MMA because most people act like nobody else contributed to it outside of Ronda Rousey caring until Ronda appeared or Cyborg appeared. And the fact listen, that you, listen, the fact that you, without, the fact that you, let me all level, I admire that. Let me say this: without Rumi Kazama and Shinobu Kandori, there ain't no Ronda Rousey. Well, I was just making sure you got your props for covering it. The way somebody who who is a real women that mixed martial arts should cover it. The history, not just the recent history, but the level. There's levels, and you're at a very high level. And I want people to understand how passion and commitment you have to the sport. So when you you say something about a fighter or a fight setup that you don't like, it's not being said as somebody who just came on a year or two ago. It's somebody who really appreciates all elements of the sport: business, in cage, and out of cage. Well, I'll pay you later. <laughs> All right. Okay, you got anything you want to talk about, or is that it? That's it, for me, sir. Okay, again, don't forget to check out my blog, frankp316.blogspot.com. I put all the fights up on my blog, so be sure to check it out there. If you have any questions or comments for my either my blog or my podcast, you can leave them in Anchor's voicemail. And if you'd like to subscribe to my podcast, you can do so at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Enjoy the fights. We'll talk to you later.